Scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It's the same Scripture the children talked about in this morning's trackers class. The temptation of Jesus. As we begin Lent, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil then took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to them, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. So I get a lot of comments about my weight now. I have lost weight, and one of the ways that I have lost weight in the past few months is through intermittent fasting. I've done it a few times for religious reasons, but I've also recently incorporated it into my weekly practice for health reasons. So what does this mean? And for, for my case, what I do is on, on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, I do what they call a 16-8 or an 18-6 intermittent fast. It means I only have water and coffee after 8 p.m. on the night before, and I don't eat till about 2, 1 or 2 the next day. I get the response every time I tell somebody about this. And I told somebody about this last week, and I get the same response. Do you get hungry? <laughs> Absolutely you get hungry. <laughs> Absolutely you get hungry. But coming from one who has struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food for many, many years, I understand I get hungry. You see, my response when I was emotionally sort of invested or stressed out was to eat. Much in the same way an alcoholic turns to alcohol, I turn to food as my coping mechanism. And so this has kind of revealed that to me, that, that sort of hunger inside me that is, is really what's happening inside, and it's laid bare some of those things going, okay, Am I going to get another cookie because I'm hungry, or am I going to get another cookie because I really want one, and it'll make me feel better? 
am I really conditioned because I need to eat or because I want to eat? And so the other question I get asked all the time is, do you get hangry? <laughs> to which you would have to ask my wife. <laughs> and sometimes, yes, anger is kind of a response, you know, that we have that feeling of hangry. You know, that commercial they used to have said, here, you need a Snickers, right? Eat a Snickers. I have read that reports for people who fast past 72 hours that they all say the same thing. They say somewhere around day three, your brain just stops telling you to eat. Now, once you reach this point, your body is only running on stored fuel. There's nothing more coming in. Now, again, I've not reached this point. I've not tried that, so, and I, I don't recommend it. You know, I'm not a doctor. If you want to go see a doctor, there are several in here to go see. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn once. No, I'm sorry. Not the jokes are not working today. But I cannot imagine what level Jesus was at 40 days into a fast. He was probably either very hyper-focused or, or in a disoriented place. The Bible tells us he was hungry, and the Greek word is pineo, from where we get the word penance. He was feeling penance, feeling this pain inside. He was struggling a little bit. And this is the place where Jesus is confronted and tested. Perhaps this is the place where we are all confronted and tested. When we are at our weakest, most vulnerable place, and this is the place in which we get hangry. At the heart of the temptations that Satan brings before Jesus are three things, and there are three things that we still deal with today. And these three things our willingness to take the easy way out, our willingness to put our play, ourselves in the place of God, and our willingness to make things about me. This is why the temptations are so powerful for us as they were powerful for Jesus, because they strike at the heart of what it means to be human, of what it means to be human. Weak and frail, swayed to and fro in every way. They strike at the heart of the human condition. We may not be starving, but our preference is always in taking the easy way rather than the hard way. We may not be starving, but still we insist on taking the easy way, the easy road and not the hard one. In fact, I would go so far to say that we often confuse our needs and our wants. Proclaiming something that we need when it's actually what we want. This is where fasting is so important as a discipline because it lays bare, do I really need that large slice of cake, right? Do I really need that extra cookie? Do I really need that chocolate bar? 
do I really need that whole bag of gummy bears? Or do I want that extra large slice of cake? Or do I want that whole bag of gummy bears? Or do I want that large chocolate bar? Right? It lays bare what is really going on inside of us. It's the immediate gratification of this age. 100% is the work of the devil and deceiving us and thinking instead of processing and discernment, we take shortcuts and process our likes and dislikes. And so what we want becomes what we need. The second temptation that Christ is faced with is the same temptation that we are faced with. It's the temptation for our safety and our comfort. It's the temptation to doubt that God loves us and rely on our own abilities. Make God proves that He make God prove that He loves you is what Satan tells Jesus. Make God prove that He will protect you and keep you safe. If you don't do this, God, I will be disappointed in you. How often do we pray to God, my will be done, my way be done, not your will and not your way. And instead of discerning God's will, we seek our own will in our own way. God, it's about me and what I want and what I need. The last temptation is probably the biggest and the baddest one of the bunch. It combines the last two and magnifies them. Matthew 4, 8 through 9. Again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he says to them, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. It is the temptation that perfectly aligns the previous two. The instant gratification and safety in one bold temptation. It asks for both gratification right now and safety. It's all yours at the expense of everyone else. It's the temptation of control, power. The devil says you can have anything you want. Your will will be done. It's a dangerous cocktail of fear and low self-esteem and selfishness mixed in with opportunism for immediate results. It all belongs to you. You get to decide. This is something we all succumb to. Instant gratification of my wants and my needs. The need to make things all about me. God, give me the power to do what I want. My way be done. An easy way, if you want to have a, 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 an easy way to look at the three temptations of Jesus and the three temptations that we face every day is it's the exact reversal of the order that God created. Me first, others second, God last. This is what Jesus is offering him. Instead of joy, we are left with mog. Me, others, God. Me first, me first, me first. This is the promise of Satan. You will always be first. Your will will always be done. You will get everything you want. You will always be safe. This is the promise of the devil. 
So how do we resist these temptations? I wonder what Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples to pray this way. The early church thought so. The Lord's Prayer was a prayed many times throughout the day to remind the earliest disciples where their place was in the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us to be satisfied instead of gratified. Whew. Help me to be satisfied instead of gratified. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remind me that fear has no place in your kingdom, so that I always rely and trust on you. Help me to learn to trust. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Teach us that your glory and your power is far beyond my glory and my worth and my power. The Lord's Prayer moves us beyond the focus on me to thee. It restores our proper understanding of the world and how the world works. Jesus, others, then yourself, not me, others, God. God is never last. God is first. The Lord helps us see that, that God is first, and we will have everything we need if we understand that kingdom reality. Amen.